Hi, this is Dr. Jane Battenberg, author of Change Within, Change the World. In this weekly podcast, I interview changemakers who are at the cutting edge of new thought and consciousness awareness. Join me as we change within and change the world together. Part of changing within can include a regular meditation practice. There are all types of meditations that one can pursue, and while it's outside the scope of either my book or this podcast to teach or recommend a specific meditative practice, meditation of some form is usually an integral part of the daily life of anyone with a spiritual bent. Certainly, it's integral to interchange work. Our guest for today is Jeffrey Baker, who will talk about the role of meditation in her life ever since she was young. Jeffrey, it is great to have you on the show today to talk about your long journey with meditation and how it has become such an important part of your life. Thank you, Jane. To begin, could you share with us a little bit about yourself and your biographical journey in life? I have been very interested in a spiritual path most of my life, and I left uh, home right after the war of the 40s so that my... uh, time at leaving home was right in the 60s in the midst of the hippies and the new influx of information coming from India that was so widely broadcast. So I, uh, I left home and uh, had the opportunity to raise my children in New York. And I come from the Midwest, so it's a very solid, comforting background to come from. As I lived in New York and was raising children and was so young, I needed an escape mechanism. And I started practicing yoga, which was on the television at that point. (laughs) And they talked about meditation, so then I began to be interested in it and began to look up more information in books and from the libraries around about meditation and how to actually do that. As somewhat at that point, I needed something of of an escape from what it was like to live with small children every day. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, so I um, began to practice the simple type of meditation of focusing on a candle, listening to uh, people talk about meditation a lot, and also lots of people talking about diet and all of the stuff that was very... Prevalent in the 60s. Prevalent in the yeah. 60s. It was the 60s world. And in the process, I found that meditation helped keep me calm. And so I began to use it on a more regular basis, not just as a curiosity, but as just a way of maintaining a more stable sense of life in my household and with my children and uh, with my husband, with the world that we were living in. So did they join you in meditation? or? No, as mostly they resented the fact that I went in the room by myself and didn't share it with them. That was their approach to the whole thing. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, I think years later, your daughter shared that she resented it. And, yes, she did. Yes. And you didn't know that until... I didn't know it until she was grown. <laughs> I just... Uh, it was one of those aha type moments. Um, <laughs> the daughter who explained that to me happens to be a, a meditator at this point in her life and has been for many, many years. She, too, has found that it helps stabilize what's going on 
in what is a very busy life. And I think we all are living in a world that has picked up its pace, so Mm. to speak. In the process of doing that, we need more space in our lives. And it seems impractical to find ways to make more space in our lives because there's so much call for our attention. Condensed uh, life. (laughs) Yes. And so it's good for me and I think it's good for most of the people I know who meditate to take the time to allow the stillness to create more space for them to listen more clearly. Because one of the benefits that I have found most useful over all the years is the ability to listen to other people more completely because of being able to allow the stillness in the conversations. That's great. So it sounds like your meditations have changed over time. They have changed over time. They started out in a very simple and what was very formulaic way. And as time went on, I learned about many different types of meditation, the many practices within various forms of meditation, and I would try them and use them for periods of time. The one that is most commonly used today that you hear quite a lot about is called mindfulness meditation. That's a following of the breath, allowing your thoughts that arise as you're paying attention to your breath to just run across like a movie, across your mind, and not attach to them which is more challenging than one would think when, we're, when you're starting to do it. But that's uh, mindfulness meditation is what is used to help people begin to meditate. And in the process of using mindfulness meditation, the space opens up for you to receive some stillness. It's a very noisy world we're living in. And so the stillness is a real blessing in our lives. Sometimes we just, we just need it for a few minutes and by just watching our breath and breathing, no matter where we might be, we're able to receive that stillness which changes the pace at which we're living our life and uh, helps us listen more deeply to mm. one another and then to the world. So, so you're doing this mindfulness meditation and the thought comes, oh, I've got to do the laundry. So if, if I would follow that thought and think about where, what I would need to put in the laundry and all that stuff, then I'm, I'm succumbing to the thought rather than just noticing that I thought about laundry and go back Letting to still. Letting it go by, yeah. yes. Okay. Over the years, you've, you've experienced more. Have you worked with the Monroe Institute, I think? I've worked said? with many spiritual teachers over the years and other people who have different methods of approaching meditation that that would not necessarily have called themselves spiritual. The Monroe Institute was founded by a man named Robert Monroe. He was a radio man in the or in the late uh, 40s and 50s. So he dealt with different sound waves coming in and listening. And in the process he found that if he put one sound wave in one ear and one in the other that was slightly different, it created, which is called a binaural beat, it would create a movement of consciousness. And so one would move wow. from being on the ordinary everyday state of consciousness in which we function to a more peaceful or a more active or a more flow state, just depending on 
the the way the beats were structured. And in the process of doing that, he, he began to leave his body and do some astral traveling. Oh. So <laughs> he was fascinating to, to read about. He was fascinating. It was a fascinating story. And I began to think, wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> Always looking for an escape myself. So I began to, to go to the Monroe Institute. And in the process of going to the Monroe Institute, where I learned a great deal about meditation and silence and reporting back to a group of people, the sharing of information, I began to also meet people who were teaching meditation. And one of them was Peter Russell. And Peter Russell actually taught me to meditate. In, in the, he wrote the book... Um... What was the name of his book? Well, he's written several books. Oh, yeah. He's a physicist <clears throat> from England, and he actually he's lived in the United States for a long time. So back to the um, astral travel, is that where people, what, what do they call it, when you, you, they wanted information and you would astral travel to a place to find out what it looked like or get information? Yes. The government did a, a whole study on this that was uh, part of the very early days of the work on this, on astral projection that caught the attention of the scientific community, as opposed to having been always a part of the spiritual tradition in many places around the world. So then with this, they were trying to get information about the Russians. They were trying to see and... things, it's called remote viewing. Yes. Someone sits in a room and is able to remotely view a different place in the world and report back at, about what they're seeing there. The government thought that there might be a way to use that <laughs> during the Cold War. And um, so it was a very interesting, as, that's a, just a side aspect of, oh, what went, of what went on. But there were people who had done a lot of work with remote viewing and people who spent time traveling outside their time frame their physical bodies into other times and spaces oh. so I was fascinated by this and uh, I spent but I the real jewel from the whole thing was the opportunity to learn to meditate in such a simple fashion as Peter Russell is able to teach it and so what did he tell you? How, what were he his... said, relax. He said, just lean back. <laughs> oh, just you know, it relax. Sounds, it's okay. You're right here. You're right now. Just breathe and let go. And, and breathe. And, and that right. helped you get into it? It helped me move back. It's like moving from one plane of existence to another. You just kind of step back and you follow your breath or listen to the stillness. But you are not striving for anything. One of the early problems I found with meditation and I found with this whole concept of astral travel was mm. the striving to be able to do it got in the way of the actual experience itself. Uh, Peter taught me that that was, that if one would just stop, <laughs> just. you were there. Because the concept is being pre in the present moment. And that's the whole concept behind mindfulness meditation. What you're trying to achieve is being present in the moment that you're in. And it's the, the moment not being distracted 
by the three million things that are going through your mind, but being <laughs> present in the moment. And that's, that made all the difference to me. That wow. clear, and that's just, that's how I began to really work and use meditation in my life in a more consistent way. I know um, remote viewing is not your not where you go with this. It's not the purpose no. of meditation for you. But did you, in the process of, of learning this astral travel and remote viewing, did you ever actually succeed in going some I weird did not. place? That was striving. Was the striving was uh, the problem there for me? And I'm meant to be where I am. I believe. <laughs> So I was never uh, very good at the other aspects of it. There were some interesting experiences that I learned how to do, which is a process of helping people who have passed away and are stuck because they're, they don't know where they are. Perhaps it's a sudden death or uh, some frightening experience. And they need help and there's a whole way of using this ability to move between different levels of consciousness and help them move beyond the stuck place that they're in into a, a welcoming uh, greeting area this is not really meditation but that's that's part of what they were doing at the Monroe Institute and I did do a fair amount of that I was able to move to various levels of consciousness. Can, can you describe a, an experience with that? I was once sitting in a large group meditation, a group of people who were doing a, uh, an exercise together. This was not at the Monroe Institute. This was at a mystery school that I was attending. And uh, there was a, an instruction. All of a sudden there was someone sitting in the tree outside that I could see that no one was not actually there no one else I mean the tree was there but the person who was in the tree was not there and none of the other people around me were able to see that person and he was getting my attention and needed me to go and and find this person who was stuck and for some reason needed me to do it and so I did and that was a matter of sinking into a an altered state of consciousness simply by a form of deep breathing and meditation and going to this spot and helping this child who was turned out to be a child to find its way to a level of uh, reception and welcome because the child was frightened and, and the child had passed on the and, child was dead and the child was in some it, well, not a physical place, but a, a sort of a... Yeah, a, a frightened mental state. Mm. By taking, going and welcoming and holding and moving that child on, I was able to, to, help, to help him move into the next stage of what goes on after death and, mm. and not feel stuck and frightened. There are many, many, many times that this is a useful thing to be able to do. At the time, I thought it was kind of funny because it really hadn't been preparing for doing anything like that. It had just appeared all of a sudden on my radar and I responded to it because I had been trained to respond to it. 
So you don't know who the man, who the person in the tree was, just no. I don't know who the person in the tree was. That was some <laughs> just. Uh, some some sort of uh, way of catching my attention. Ah, because we become so focused and intent in our lives that we don't notice what's going on around us lots and lots of times. And so when you're working with multiple levels of consciousness or multiple dimensions, you, I mean, it's very handy to be able to stay in just one dimension and function in life. But if you need or want to be doing something else, then your attention has to be grabbed out of the constancy of what we're doing. That was a, a very surprising experience for me because it, I had only done that, that kind of work on, by intention. I had only sat down to do that kind of work, uh, usually supported by a group of people who were also doing that. That's when I began to, I opened up to being able to talk about this with other people, which wow. I really hadn't been able to before because it's a very um, odd thing to talk about. <laughs> and we're talking about uh, m the fact that we live within multi-dimensions and that we are not always present where we are. One of the benefits of the teacher that I work with now is that he has spends all his time focusing on being present in the body and in the place in which we are for, and that has helped me ground me in a way that makes my meditation much more powerful mm. and much calmer more able to, to be open to whatever's happening in the world and brought the light into my meditations. So I just, I'm reminded when you told me about this, the man in the tree and the kid, um, I was at a, um, a parade for, um, and veterans were there, and a friend of mine was a shaman, and he saw these spirits of men who had passed in... Um, in Honolulu, in the uh, bombing, mm -hmm. and so we cap. I helped him. We captured these spirits and put them in a crystal. Then, when we went to Hawaii, we released them to the light, mm -hmm. and all these spirits and all the other spirits around that had, were trapped, we could just see them. You know, there was like a, a cone of light, and they were all going back to the light. Mm -hmm. It was. I thought, well, did I make that up? <laughs> Well, and no, you didn't. The answer to that is no, you didn't. There is a lot more uh, available to us than, than our current culture accepts and focuses on. So, so you talked about the light, seeing the light in your meditation. So you haven't always seen the light, right? Or I have not, actually. Um, it's fairly, it's, it's because I've been working with um, Thomas Ubel, uh, that I have learned to look for, and I do that, it, it's an intentional sort of thing. Meditation is a kind of a broad experience, and it's the ability to move into a slightly altered state of consciousness oh. and be able to be open to whatever is happening. When you go in with an intention, such as the intention to find this child and take it to a safe place, or the spirit of this child, if, if you go into it with, an intention to not only be present but also to and find spaciousness around you but also to be able to see light then in fact you can work toward that it takes a it doesn't happen easily 
but then it, all of a sudden it occurs and it's an interesting experience. And so I have light filter into my meditation on a regular basis now. Are there different kinds of light? Like I get a purple, a blue, blue-purple light sometimes, sometimes I have, not. I have gotten the blue light. I've gotten that for many years. Uh, and uh, it was just a sense of uh, blue lightness as I was moving through the various dimensional levels of consciousness, basically. And then this light that I'm talking about, there's also a, a white light that comes with uh, once you have developed some space for yourself, then there's a white light that can come through, which is kind of like a bright beam shining through a window at you as you sit in a sacred place. So have you ever opened your eyes to make sure that it's inside, not outside? <laughs> uh, uh, have I ever opened my eyes? I mean, to just to make sure no, that it's because not... at that point, curiosity isn't a thing that's okay. <laughs> but beyond the, that level of white light, there is a more of a golden light that appears. And oh. it's referred to often in spiritual writings. And all of these carry with them a sense of, of a sensation of feeling. So it's an openness. And then there's the golden light tends to bring more comfort for some reason, and it's, it's precious. Mm. And then beyond that is another brighter light that whole, is really holds us all and is really energy, the energy that in which we live our lives in which we make things happen in the world or in other levels of dimension, but it is the energy that keeps makes us alive. It is what we are. So it is as if that energy with the earth creates the movement of who we are and what we do. So you talked about um, Thomas Ubel. Ubel. U-B-E-L or U? It's H-U-E-B-L. Okay. Ubel. Is he like a, a spiritual teacher or a guru? He's a spiritual or? teacher whom I have ran into uh, recently. And because of the magic of the uh, internet, we have the ability to uh, have a lot of teachers work with us online. Oh, so you don't have to be physically... You don't have to be physically present with them. Now, at this point in time, I do attend uh, workshops where I am physically present with Thomas and a large group of people. Um, but it's that first introduction was through um, his teachings on the Internet. And the thing that drew me to uh, Thomas was his ability to listen and to hear what you, other people were saying. And, and it, it's a pretty remarkable thing to be heard and to be able to feel his energy as he's hearing you. So it's a, a deeply heard, not just somebody listening. It's a listening. very deeply heard, and, um, which is a huge gift to anyone to be deeply heard. And uh, when I began to work with him uh, in person, I realized that this was a, it's a pretty, uh, he, he can work with large groups of people and he's teaching people how to hear one another. So 
using a technique called transparent communication, you're able to actually <laughs> listen to what other people are saying with such a focus and an intention of listening that you can actually feel their energy and they can feel yours. Mm -hmm. And therefore the communication gets much clearer and you are much more present at each moment. To do that, one must be able to be aware of one's own body and what you're feeling, where you're feeling it in your body and who's around you. And you have to have the intention to be doing this kind of listening. But it helps clarify communication. So when you deeply listen to other people, it changes your... What happens? Well, you can hear them on uh, multiple levels. Uh -huh. Real often communication is coming through uh, years of other issues that this person has and the, their way of communicating, their style of communicating, their things that trigger them and upset them uh, that are caused by things that have happened to them at other times in their lives. And finding a way to be able to hear that. So a lot of the work that Thomas does is with trauma. Oh. Uh, not only individual personal trauma, but then the cultural trauma. So, um, he is from, he's Austrian. He lives in Israel. And so a lot of the the cultural trauma that he has been, he grew up in and is listened to and is in fact trying to heal is the Holocaust and the Second World War. Now, in healing a trauma, whether it be a personal trauma, a child who's been uh, abused in some way and that's altered the way they are present in the world as they've grown up, to release the energy around that is how you can allow that to be released and they can move on without having to be triggered by the same things they've always been triggered by in their lives. Uh -huh. And it can happen culturally as well, but it means intending on a larger scale with lots of people working at it together. And that's really his larger work in the world and what he's always done. But it works on a personal basis as well. So there's a lot of uh, work at releasing energy so that one can just be present and actually feel what's happening around them and not be held by past issues. So when I say to listen deeply, I mean to listen to how their body feels and, and how their, uh, you have eyes all over is the way he talks about it. It's a matter of being able to respond with your physical instrument, which is your body and your mind, to another person's physical instrument and be present with them. This is the work that he does in the world, which he teaches other people to do. So you could actually change the external world by changing within. <laughs> Absolutely. That's exactly what, but each of us do it ourselves by being heard and by being able to allow the pain to be released that we have accumulated for one reason or another. And it's not just the personal traumas that have occurred to us in our childhood, generally, or adulthood, uh, or in war, but also the cultural 
uh, were our cultural history that we've come into. We live in, within a set of culture, a culture that we just came to, like fish come live in water. We live in the culture that we were born into. So we wouldn't be aware of the hurts and aches and pains until we began, began to, to be aware. Unwind them, yeah. yes. And which helps us uh, be more present with the individuals who we're with and not, not be reacting based on cultural norms, but actually feeling and hearing who and what they are. Mm. So when, when you, um, is this a group meditation that you do and do you do it weekly or daily or? One of the things that happened when I was first working with Thomas and it was just over the internet was I learned that you could have a Sangha that you didn't, or comprised of people that you didn't know. What's a Sangha? A Sangha is a group of, of, that meditates and uh, regularly regu- supports one another together. It's a uh, community. And because we are relational, because what we do as human beings is that we are relational and we work out our issues in relation, uh, or we work out whatever's happening in the world in relation. We solve our problems in relation to one another. In doing that, you don't have to necessarily be able to see the people that you're working with. Now, it's helpful to have that physical and impression, the close vibe you get when you're with someone. And so when I'm working with him personally now, I'm working with a large group of about 150 people. And we meet several times a year and physically together. And the rest of the time we are, uh, we meditate at the same times or we make commitments that we follow through on that are related to how often we meditate and what other things, how we live our lives. It's a, it's a spiritual community, but it's a very disconnected one. It's worldwide. There are people from all over the world in this group. That, and it's been, a, it's been a life-changing experience. I'm used to having, being in a small group and having right. that closeness. But More this is introverted, a, but this uh-huh, is like... This is a huge community of people that I'm committed to and who are committed to me. And it's a very stabilizing experience as we process the world we're living in. And we're all living different kinds of lives, doing a variety of things. We're all different ages. And yet we are connected to one another. Mm. Amazing. And it's a beautiful experience and it's driven by this high energy meditation that we work on together, when we are together and when we are apart. I just wanted to ask you a couple of questions. So have you ever stopped meditating and then start? I mean, is this something you have since to... Since I've been doing this since I was about 18 years old, there's been a lot of stop and start. There's been a lot of time when I had things to do in my life that were very busy and very demanding, and which I fell into the notion that I didn't have time. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and it wasn't doing anything anyway. And what good was it just to sit still? <laughs> These are all things I thought. And then I would feel this need to come back to meditation. And so it has been a call for me for a long time. 
you refer to it as a romance. It has definitely been a romance with uh, <laughs> meditation. I have uh, danced with it in lots of different forms and uh, for lots of different reasons. I find anxiety often drives people to meditation because they feel like something's got to give them some relief. And in fact, it does. But it's a practice. It's not something that, it's not like a, if you do it once, or even if you do it for three weeks, that it's going to, but it's, it's a practice. It's something you do all the time, every day. And one of the blessings of this work with Thomas is that I'm able to, I see my whole life as a practice, not just the time that I sit, which is crucial to centering and to giving me light and to giving me space, some spaciousness. But um, I'm choosing to live in the world, not to live in a cave where I just sit <laughs> all the time. And, right. and that produces a different kind of energy that drives the world in a completely different way. But that isn't the way I've chosen to live my life or the way that most people choose to live their lives. And yet right. meditation has a place in everyone's life by allowing some some of that spaciousness to come in and for that energy that is uh, driven by light and by relationship to move the world forward. Oh, very. I've never heard this expressed so eloquently. Thank you. That's beautiful. So in the last few minutes we have, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? If you're drawn to meditation, it really, uh, even if, in fact, you think you don't have time, my experience over all of these many years is that, in fact, if you meditate, it provides extra space in your life, and you do have to. It makes time somehow for you. <laughs> so Wow. Meditation generates time. It generates time and spaciousness, and it generates an opening of your heart. Oh. that makes you present at this point in time in this world that we're living in it's very important to be present mm. for it's beautiful. each other thank you for joining us and sharing this experience or your life journey with meditation and I hope you've enjoyed this interview with Jeffrey Baker on her journey with meditation and its importance in her life so you don't miss any of our shows, make sure you subscribe to podcast.changewithin.com or click the subscribe button below. Until next time, this is your host, Dr. Jane Battenberg.